Coming to you live from Browns headquarters in Berea, Ohio, this is Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Brought to you by Jack, the official entertainment partner of the Cleveland Browns. Here are your hosts, Bo Bishop and Nathan Zagura. All right, let's do a live on Thursday edition of the program. I am merely Bo Bishop. He is the Z, which stands for Zagura. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. Doing well, hanging in there and, uh, you know, excited to talk about the Browns today got a chance to catch up with Joel Batonio earlier today, which is something that you'll be able to see on uh, uh, ClevelandBrowns.com, Browns mobile app, and the Browns YouTube channel uh, coming up here in the in the next coming days as we do a series, kind of catching up with the players, seeing what they're doing in their places. And it was great to see Joel. He's doing great, and it was uh, it was a fun talk. And I look forward to people getting a chance to check that out. Now, are we going to play that here on CBD? I'm sure we will at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't yeah, we? Yeah, I mean, you'd think you'd want to. I mean, I know that your priorities now are going to other entities as opposed to this one. No, that's that fine. not true. This is the as most you're consistent. you're cheating on me left and right, but I mean, no, I'd like no, to be able to no. run some of this stuff. Listen, man, listen. In, in, a, in a quarantine situation, there, you know, there's, there is no cheating. I'm right here at home, you know, just doing <laughs> my thing, brother, doing my thing. That's all. It's true if you... <laughs> <laughs> a bit of levity. If you were uh, an adulterer or something like this, this would put an end to it. You're shut this down. Would be the end yeah, of that. It's, it's, it is the end of that. That is right. Many that would be the end of that business. That's, That's right. the end of that, my friend. Absolutely. Uh, let's get to the OBM hot topics. Ohio business machines. Preferred copier provider. Your Cleveland Browns. While well, the X's and O's for your office. Call 216-485-2000. Visit OhioBusinessMachines.com. Uh, news uh, from us, from a roster standpoint, Chris Hubbard agrees to a pay cut per field. Yates going to remain with the team. That's great. Hub originally like scheduled to make $6 million, a little more than $6 million in salary in 2020 as part of a five-year, $36.5 million deal he signed in 18. Instead, the new two-year deal pays him a million signing bonus and $2.15 million salary this season, including a million guaranteed. He can make up to $5 million this season with incentives and can void the second year of the deal if he plays 90% of the snaps. So what this does is this puts gets us even more cap space. And it's hard. I don't on the cap space thing. It's such a fluid situation, but it appears that going into the second week of free agency, if everything is correct, I've seen it reported that we would have the most cap space in the National Football League. Um, we are certainly near the top. I don't know if we're exactly at the top. I can try to pull up what the latest from over the cap with this restructuring, but this should put us by my calculations over 50 right now. So which would be a, a wonderful place for us to be here. Let me click on their most recent. Yeah, this says that we are at the top with 46, 47 yeah. million. So I don't know if that includes the restructuring of Chris Hubbard uh, yet. I think I'm it trying, does. I'm trying to pull that up and see if it does. Uh, no, this still has him listed as 7.2. 7. Oh. So that doesn't include Chris Hubbard's restructure yet. So the Browns. Should be up around 40 when they go from – that's why I thought over 50. So you'd go from 7 to, what, 2.5, they said this year? Um, yeah. So you'd have 5 to that. Yeah, so you'll be a north of 50, which would be the most in the NFL this spot. And the Browns are likely, what I would say, to spend some more of it but also carry some of that forward when big contracts are going to come due. Yeah, and this is what allows for – I mean, what Joe Stradamus talked about with Jadavian Clowney. I have no sure. idea – there's it put you're in play for it and and maybe you do a short deal with with Jadavion if, if what he's out there isn't out there and you do a short deal for big money 
Um, he's certainly the number one, you know, non-Jameis Winston, non-Cam Newton player out there in the market. Um, and so there's still some guys out there, big-name guys you'd mentioned. And I'm not saying these are fits for us, but guys like Logan Ryan, who uh, you had mentioned previously, is still out there. Um, you think about Jason Peters still out there, Everson Griffin still out there. So there's some guys out there in free agency uh, that, that if you wanted to, you could certainly go get. Well, if you look, if you want Clowney, you can make him an offer – uh, that he would find appealing because if you made that move, Olivier Vernon's 15 and a half would be coming off. So if you were thinking of going into that defensive end market, not only would you have 50, you'd really have be having 65 million of cap space and the second place team in the NFL would be the Jets at 36. So even if you went and, and got Clowney and paid him 18 a year, you know, you're still high 40s and still number one in the NFL in terms of cap space so that is something that it could potentially be more appealing it just all depends really on their evaluation of Jadavian Clowney sure their evaluation of, of you know maybe their strategy is, is more closely linked to what I had in the BPA mock two that they love that early second round spot for getting a defensive end of the future which would be certainly much more economical uh, alongside of Miles Garrett than than making such a huge investment knowing you could keep Vernon for this year still have no problem with the cap and then you'd have a second round pick could be able to play rotate in and then really take over that role at what would be a very very cheap number knowing that miles's number is going to jump exponentially no there's no question about it i'm sure that is the plan but with all of this it does allow for you to be creative if you want to um is of course. It, you know they, they, great they spot. To, to, yeah to have that much cap space to have as many people as we have signed have so many people committed to roster spots and 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 money and still have that much space left over if you want to get creative with one of these high name guys you could uh on a short team deal you have, you have certainly have the assets to be able to pull it off so it's that was a that was a big job and and AB has crushed all this stuff to this point um and and we'll see what the second week of free agency brings if anything um as we as we start into the second week of it now um and then as you head to the draft as as there are other things and and maybe this becomes a bit of a buyer's market here um, as some of these offers have maybe dried, uh, drawn, dried up a little bit. Um, we've also signed center Evan Brown. He spent last season with the Giants and Dolphins as another guy on that offensive line uh, rotation. Um, do you th- Hub would be kind of that sixth lineman with his versatility, ideally. Wouldn't that be the idea? Yeah, and that's what he was in Pittsburgh before the Browns signed him away from the Steelers, a guy who can really play any position along the offensive line. Uh, Evan Brown is the guy. The Browns announced him as a center. Uh, He played 37 snaps of right guard for the Dolphins last year, ironically enough, against the Giants in week number 15. Uh, He's an undrafted free agent out of Southern Methodist, who was an undrafted free agent in 2018. So not much experience. Another guy that maybe they think they can develop just some depth there. But really, the, the big news today was the official signing of uh, Andrew Billings and bringing that size to the defensive line as the Browns get a legit 330-pound defensive tackle uh, who's in a four, after four seasons with the Bengals, former fourth-round pick out of Baylor. So he's been he's a pretty solid run stuffer in the middle, and that was kind of the big one there. But back to the offensive line, I think you look at it now again, knowing that you know. Chris Hubbard being restructured says, okay, yeah, you are our sixth guy, jack of all trades. I think, you know, Drew Forbes is going to be here um, with Wyatt Teller. So just we'll put Teller in as the starter for now. Whoever you pick at number 10, or you still could bring in, as we said, bring in a Jason Peters, but I'm guessing a pick at 10, uh, tackle in the first round is your left tackle. Betonio, left guard, Treader, your center. Right guard, we'll call it Wyatt Teller for now. Uh, right tackle, Jack Conklin. Then you've got Hubbard, who can be a swing for you. You're going to have Drew Forbes in that mix. You are going to have, you could have Kendall Lamb in that mix as well. 
because listen, you're gonna have to have eight linemen active on yeah. on game day. So it's not wouldn't be shocking at all to carry nine on the roster, and maybe there's a guy that they think is just a pure backup center uh, that would have a role on this team as well. So. Um, the offensive line room is certainly looking better at this point uh, from the Cleveland Browns standpoint. And there are, there will, that will be a big competition because how many people you ultimately decide to keep on your roster in the offensive line is something that's going to be fascinating, knowing that you're going to have eight active on game days, which would lead me to believe you're likely to have nine, maybe even 10. Uh, on your 55-man roster. And for the Browns, for the people that are here right now, Willie Wright, who is a rookie who's been on our practice squad last year, the three people listed as true centers on our depth chart are Evan Brown, newly signed, J.C. Treader, obviously, and then Willie Wright. You look go on into the guards. You've got Batonio. You've got Forbes as well. Wyatt Teller, who I mentioned. Colby Gossett, uh, a second-year player out of Appalachian State. And then Malcolm Pridgden, who was a rookie out of Ohio State, uh, that the team has listed here as well. And then the tackles, obviously we know we've got Jack Conklin, uh, Hubbard and lamb, and then to be determined. So the it, it's, there could be more additions even made in the draft to that line room. In addition to just the tackle that we've been thinking and talking about for so long. So wouldn't surprise me at all to see uh, some type of movement there, but this is going to be getting Hubbard in that role, which is the role that he occupied for so long. And by the way, for uh, so well, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I think is a wonderful bit of news for the Browns that now this guy is there to really handle any type of emergency or crisis you might have. Yeah, and one thing we need to, that we'll probably do probably once we get into next week is now that this free agent stuff has taken place and you think about the positional needs going into the draft, um, because there's to me they're still there at safety. Um, uh, they're still there at in terms of long term, and we got all these guys on one year deals. But uh, you'd want to have some future there in in the draft if if you don't augment those positions. There's not many people out there in safety and free agent. We got two good guys, but um, you know if there would be more room there. Uh, you mentioned defensive line, a defensive end opposite Miles. Is that something in the second round that makes a lot of sense? You're strong on that. Uh, linebacker has to be amplified still, and of course tackle. We all think is going to happen at number ten overall. So there's a lot of things that have changed a little bit based on these free agents signings and you still um, as you start to plug in like who's going to start where and what this looks like uh, there's still some questions out there in terms of where the competition is and who's going to be competing for those spots it's going to be an interesting conversation to have it is and that's that's good and I, I look forward to going through this roster and kind of seeing okay this is these are the boxes that have been checked these are the boxes that still need to be checked here's where competition could be brought in here's what they're looking you know to build out for the future and I think that's why this roster offensively, you know, you feel really, really good about in terms yep. of how it's established and what's set, but still defensively, as you, to your point, I think there are things still to be ironed out and things to be examined and looked at it. And I think you're right. Safety is one of them. I think linebacker bringing in another veteran there, but the Browns are in a pretty good spot. I think there's a, plenty of flexibility for this, for this team uh, at this time. Yeah, there is. It's going to be fun. Um, all right, lots to get to on the program today. We'll go around the league. Coming up, our buddy Jake Burns will join us uh, at 1.30 as we kind of go over. He's done a lot of great film study in terms of, of what these fits yeah. will work into this offense with Kevin Stefanski. We'll get to that at 1.30. Uh, you'll hear from Case Keenum at 2 o'clock. Uh, we've got a little mailbag hosted by Gibby coming up at 2.30 yeah. as well. A little Ask CBD, so you have that to look forward to, which is nice. Remember, he's unflappable to our mocking or anything. I know. He has no pay. He just blows through it. It's Clydesdale. really quite impressive. Yeah, it really is. So we'll get into all of that on a pretty loaded show here on a Thursday. Cleveland Browns Daily, 850 ESPN Cleveland. 
You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Browns fans, log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts and head over to the YouTube channel, YouTube slash Browns, to check out the latest edition of the best podcast available with your three co-hosts, Gibby, <laughs> Gribs, and the Z, which stands for Zagura, the, the mighty three amigos, uh, the three co-hosts, the uh, three musketeers, as it were. <sighs> the three faces of the BPA. The guy's going to go through and analyze their second mock drafts of the year. So you have that to look forward to, which is nice. It, certainly. It, boy, is it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, look, this is this is where we're at now. Uh, they've taken you. You're you're no longer this. Is, you're no longer just this show. Far more than that. You're now a permanent co-host with those guys. So that's great. It's good. It's, I'm not bitter. I'm not mad about it. It doesn't sound like you are at all. It sounds no. like you have no real feelings about it, to be honest. No, no, no. I think it's fine. I think it's fine. It's Just spread great. you out. Spread you thin. It's fine. Put you on all the shows. Let's do that. And then, then you won't – Then and take you away from me. That's fine. I think that's a good idea. Maybe you should – do. why don't you just join us? I don't know that that is a fit. No. Necessarily. No. Yeah, no. I don't know. If I don't know if that's a fit. I think you guys have a good group together, the three of you guys, and I think more of that is better. And uh-huh. more – you know, some maybe year-round, more of you guys year-round, three, yeah. four times a week, something like that. Our podcast a piece, something like that. Sure. I think maybe that's sure. what the people need sure. uh, going ahead. Uh, let's go around the league, presented by Jack. Um, and let's look at another league. And I, we've heard from two, both the NHL and, uh, and NBA on this front. The NHL has delayed their draft to June, um, probably more so because they're hoping at some point to resume their season. I've heard from uh, Rob Manford yesterday and about how they're hopeful to be able to have some sort of modified spring training in May. Which, and by the way, today's opening day. I mean, think about all the crappy opening days that we've had in Cleveland and that we've had to deal with. And today, look at it out there today. I know. It's fantastic. It is. It's spectacular, really. It just sucks. It just sucks. Um, Of course it does. um, So I saw Manfred say, you know, maybe May with like a two or three week spring training and then into the season. And I would say just forget the spring training and just go. Everyone's under the same disadvantage like just start playing the season the faster the better but if this continues i heard him say something along the lines of considering having to get creative maybe playing double headers with with games being seven innings long just to try to get in all 162 because you got to remember with baseball they've got 81 home dates yeah and that's where they make their money more than any other sport it's the gate that they make the money at and and so they don't want to give up any one of those 81 so double headers with seven innings maybe that's the way to do it that would be that would be wild, and I wonder, you know, how that would affect, you know, bullpens and and pitching and and strategy, strategery, as I like to call it. That would be yeah. that would be kind of fascinating. And by the way, I have a feeling if they if they do do that, there are going to be a lot of people, not the purists, but your everyday Joe, clamoring for baseball to move permanently to seven innings. I think if they open up that can of worms, they could find yeah. themselves at a place where people are saying, you know what. This is a better experience. Try and take a kid to a nine-inning. I'm sure you've done it to no a chance. nine-inning baseball game. Forget about it. It's not happening. Not happening. No. no, and I've tried everything with the boys. I, I took them to – I grew up a Dodgers fan, as, as I've told you. And through some – you know you know people who know people, and through some connection, it was an afternoon game uh, with the Dodgers. It was a get-out-of-town game for the Dodgers. It was Indians and Dodgers. And we had seats, like, right below home – right behind home plate, like, second row. And we get we, we get the boys and we get them hot dogs and we get them gear and we get all of this. This is a couple of years ago, so Peyton was probably six, so they were like six and four. And we go down there and we sit down 
and we get through the first inning, and my four-year-old Parker goes, Dad, can we go? Is it over yet? And I went, wow. So <laughs> this is, is – There it is. That's, that's the sound that's going to be all over Joe Exotic. <laughs> Joe Exotic's going to get a lot of that, yeah. Oh, he's I'm like, dude, we're half inning in, brother. we got a long way to go here. <laughs> just started. And that's a very different reaction that I've had when I take them – uh, to football, basketball. Certainly the Cavs are awesome what they do when I take them to Buckeye games or Browns games. And then hockey's actually the best. Like when we go down to Columbus for a Blue Jackets game because the constant motion, it's best. Yes. I agree with you. I, I think baseball on a seven inning would be appealing to a lot of people. I think it, there's no doubt. I think that, that they will not say open up a can of worms because I think that's the wrong way to phrase it. I just think that it will. we will find people saying, you know what? I kind of like this. I think this is. I think this is a nice way to do this, and maybe and see that going forward. That maybe there is some traction for that because I think that's part of the problem. It's such a commitment in a time for yeah. not a ton of action. Yes, and I think that's baseball's yeah. issue just in general. And you know, especially if you're a kid, like as a kid, I played baseball, and so therefore yep. you like it a little more. But if you're a youth who doesn't play baseball then you know you there's i think you have a very difficult time with the patience required to sit through a, a full game i think that baseball for adults the slow pace of it's okay because people look at it very much as a a very social hour right you go there absolutely everybody you have you know you that's why they turn the whole right field you know into a into a into a bar basically you go sure. and you hang out and that's that's what you're there to do I think that is a very different scenario from, you know, what uh, it's that's very different when you have the kids involved. I think it's just it's a tough sell. And I think they're going to end up in a scenario. I really believe where if they go to seven innings where people say, you know what, you know what I liked? I liked that seven inning baseball. Yep. I liked it a lot. Let's 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 do more of that. Yep. You'd be out in two hours. Uh, right. Yeah. That's a perfect commitment for it. Yeah. That's a perfect yeah, that's commitment it. for it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So you know, maybe there's something to that. Um, one of the things that has yet to be moved and the NFL has very little interest in moving is the NFL draft. Correct. Uh, Saints general manager Mickey Loomis was on the Peter King podcast and had some strong statements about moving the NFL draft. Let's have a listen. In favor of, of delaying the draft uh, so that we can get some of the work done that, that our scouts and, and, and our personnel people ordinarily do. And then just the logistics of, of trying to conduct the draft with with uh, uh, you know, you're not being having not having access to your your draft rooms and your offices. You know, creates a lot of logistic uh, problems. This is you know, this is not a fantasy draft that uh, um, you, know, you conduct out there with just a list of, of, of things on a piece of paper. I, I would think okay. that the NFL Hold would have on to once. Go ahead. First of all, let me take some umbrage with the this is not a fantasy draft. Okay, there are people who port plenty of time into fantasy drafts and certainly do plenty of research and understand exactly what they're doing. What I find so shocking about this is the one thing that if, if, if he had said, you know what, we need to be able to get the medicals to be properly evaluate this. That's, that is the one leg I think they have to stand on to say yeah. that this is not a fantasy draft. You've watched so much tape on this. You've written so yes. many scouting reports. Everybody in your building's written scouting reports. You have your opinions of these people formed. You can make your list and go in there and know what you want to do. Yes. I'm sorry. Of course. I, I, I agree with you. Maybe. And frankly, a, some of the medical stuff, it should be all out there and shareable. Every, all these guys did medicals at the Combine. It's the people that need rechecks. That's that's right. what it is. And then people that were not invited to the Combine as well. Because then they I think have, just – 
no matter. You're right. Medicals. I think those are going to be the guys that are hurt the worst are the guys on the bottom, you know, the, the D3 guys who aren't seen, like they're not going to have some of the opportunity. They would be hurt the worst. But these are these are extraordinary times. And the idea that somehow you couldn't pick because you 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 don't have these, you know, on-campus visits, as it were, yeah. I think it's just crazy to me. I think the one thing that would have to be done, though, is you would have to, and whether you had, like, I don't know, temperature readings when you walked in the building or whatever, but I think you would have to have – you'd have to let these guys into the building, into their war room, so they could draft, you know, as a dozen of them in there or however many you would need, whatever the, the minimum amount would be, to where they could be in a room discussing this stuff. Like, you wouldn't want to rely entirely on technology, Zoom and all these things, to be able to, like, conduct a draft uh, like that. Like, you know, if you're AB, That's like, fair. you want to have Kevin next to you and Paul next to you, and you want to be able to – have an idea of what you're doing as a group, I would think. I, I think I think you'd have to do that as a league. I don't think you can have teams running out, you know, convention center space at the Marriott or whatever, you know? No, I think what you do is you say, okay, here's – each team gets to designate, let's call it 12 people that will be in yeah. their war room, and those 12 people must go – must be, you know, quarantined for two weeks prior to the draft, and then they can all be together. Yeah, that would solve it, and, and I think that is it. And I, you and I talked about this yesterday. I would love to see the draft spread out. Even more than it is. To People got to very it. upset about our, our notion yesterday. The one round has to stay together. So I was like, okay, fine. Why? I don't know. That's what they Why? said. They said it would give teams later more of an advantage. I didn't follow oh, that please. logic, but I just yeah, I don't either. No, I, I don't think it, oh, I don't. Please. I don't buy that at all. I mean, I, it'd be easy to go one through fifteen and sixteen through thirty-two. Grow up. One through, whatever the number would be. Yeah, would not be hard. No. Um, did you see the comments from Bruce Arians today in regard to Jameis Winston on the Rich Eisen show? I believe. Yeah, so that he was that he was making some recommendations out there. I think Arians can't compliment Winston without it being backhanded. So he said, "I'm making I'm making calls. You're getting one of the hardest working guys. And you know, if we wouldn't have had Tom, and then we had Teddy as a backup, then we would have went with back with Jameis. Like so. Yeah. So what? That's a ring. So you like Jameis there. more than Andy Dalton? Like right. what are we doing? Right. Right. Uh it's. Yeah, it is interesting there. And again, you know, he wouldn't have to recommend him to us. We, we'd be, we, we, we're. Are we wrong stuff. on that? Maybe. I mean, <laughs> people who do this for a living would certainly indicate to us that we are wrong on it. But I still Seems think he's talented, are. way too talented to give up on. And, and I would give him like, if there's Jacksonville. I'm Jacksonville. I've got DJ Chark. I've got Leonard Fournette. I'm bringing him in, and then I'm drafting at at nine the number one receiver on my board. And I think we could have a heck of a lot of fun and win some football games. Yeah. Yeah. I guarantee in an honest competition between him and Gardner Minshew, he's winning. <laughs> yeah. Nice job out of you. Yeah. He is winning that one. Uh, the Buccaneers also announced the returning of Ndamukong Sue to their roster as well. And then did you see this video uh, Cam Newton put out on Twitter and Instagram? I did not see that. So it's him working out. He looks great. So we know that he's passed all the physicals now. He's cleared full go to participate. Um, and he's he's basically saying they gave up on me. They gave up on me. Um, so he's quite motivated uh, to find a to find a landing spot. I, again, it's the problem with him is there aren't that many seats open. The most logical one by a thousand miles is the L.A. Chargers. It's just a no brainer that that he would go there. And it would do everything for them. I mean, it provides them some bump, certainly, in tickets. It's going to sell a lot of those powder blues with number one and Newton on the back of them. And I think, yeah. they, I think they could win some games. I think they're a pretty good team. So do I. Yes, of course they could. And that's they should. This, But then again, they're, it seems that they are all in on Justin Herbert. So they would rather just get yeah. him and, and go that direction for the Chargers. That seems to be what everybody's saying. 
there is no way in this league. Well, first of all, the Bears, what the Bears did I thought was outrageous. They should have just yes. bought Cam Newton with that team. Would have been a nice fit. I'm stunned by what's happening with Cam Newton and Jameis Winston. Let me just say that. I am absolutely stunned by what's happening with Cam Newton and Jason Jameis Winston. I don't I don't get it. I, I it doesn't make any sense. No, same. And it the idea that neither one is going to start, which if if it's not LA for Cam, the only other spots left are New England and Jacksonville. But that's it. Yep. It doesn't seem like either one of them have an interest. So you know, I, there's no place else for him to go. It's a wild thing. It's a very wild it, thing. It's it's stunning. Yeah. Couldn't have predicted it. If you would have told me that Terod Taylor and and Gardner Minshew were Nick Foles, pencil, Nick Foles all were penciled slash penned in as starters for their yeah. respective franchises, and all three franchises are thumbing their nose at Cam Newton and Jameis Winston at the same time, I would say – and Jared Stidham. So Stidham. that's four. I would say, come on, man. That's not happening. But it is happening. It's happening. It's what happening. are we doing here? And don't the answer know. is I don't, don't know. know. No, I don't, don't know. We don't. We're not privy. We don't. No. We know what's coming up next, and that's our good buddy Jake uh, Burns. He's going to drop by. He's done a lot of great film analysis for the OBR and uh, get a little take about what these new pieces offensively will look like and how Kevin Stefanski can utilize our offense to the highest level. We get into that coming up next. You're listening to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. So one of the, uh, one of the pitfalls of doing this show is I'm doing it in my office, and so my windows look right outside. So you see things that, that at times are, you know, a little alarming. Disconcerting. Uh, for the example, yeah, very much so. So, like, Bootsy's at the age where his head is still bigger than his body, and his mop of hair doesn't help him either in the, in the look of that. So anytime I see him going down a slope with a specific amount of speed, I'm worried that he's just going to topple over and just bite it. Yeah. And it's the last thing you want. Don't and want he to see had a, that. He had – no, 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 no. And he had, he just, as we were about ready to come back, he just clipped himself on the concrete on the drive and luckily was close enough that he was able to dive into the grass and not have a total debacle, knee skin, face skin situation where we were able to, now he's crying, but he is, he was able to, he's going to be okay. From, yeah. yeah, he's going to be all right. It's, it was going to be like a stitches situation and, and now it appears that, it, that it's not. So that's that's certainly a positive going forward there, my friend. All right, it's time to head on to the hotline. Our good buddy Jake Burns, film analyst for the Orange and Brown Report, joining us uh, here on the hotline to talk a little bit about this new addition to this offense. And, Jake, in simplest terms, one, one of the consistent themes we've had is that what Andrew Barry did in free agency and what Kevin Stefanski alongside him did and Paul DePodesta did was say, hey, let's put our quarterback in the best possible position to succeed going into a critical year three. Everything that they did seems to add up to, Baker, here's your shot. We got everything around you you need. Yeah, certainly. It's like um, it's like Kevin kind of came in with this offensive style and had a lot of pieces to the puzzle in place. And, you know, he's sort of just putting together those last few pieces and, and you nailed it. They want to put things around him to make him feel comfortable. We want to give you a right tackle we know is going to be – 
um, you know, a solid player for us. We know he's one of the better zone-blocking tackles in the entire league. We know that if we put him in play action, we can trust him to anchor an edge rusher. And uh, for the most part, he's going to do fine in predictable pass rush situations. So you know, you know, as a quarterback, there's this conversation about blind side and front side and all that stuff. If the rush is in your face, it's a problem. And if you if you feel it coming right into your line of sight, it's even more distracting as a quarterback than if someone's coming from your blind side because you can't see the blind side, right? So you, you, you don't have to necessarily worry about it until impact is made. But I like that they, they shored up the right side, um, you know, sort of Baker's front side, that he can feel solid about protection, kind of calm his body, calm his mind down a little bit, and I think that's a great signing, obviously, like you guys said. And and uh, then adding Austin Hooper and, and, and certainly looking at um, – all of the different facets of his game, which really complement David Njoku and will do a really nice job in the multiple tight end sets. And then um, I just wrote this morning on Andy Janovich, who's just a phenomenal fullback. Listen, people think about Kyle Juszczyk, who's a fantastic player, native Ohioan, uh, out in San Francisco doing great things. And then they think about C.J. Ham, who's done really nice things in Minnesota, just returned there. And um, if you look at what C.J. Ham did in that Minnesota offense, and then you look at what Janovich can do and did in the Broncos' offense before he broke his arm. Those are the same player, and I'm not so certain that Janovich isn't going to become that Kyle Juszczyk type of player. He's got all sorts of versatility, a heck of an athlete, um, and a really sharp guy. I think he's going to be phenomenal. So like you said, um, just a great job of adding weapons. they got to add a little bit more, uh, but adding weapons offensively that really, really fit with Baker and fit this scheme and could be um, you know, great additions to, to what should be a pretty, pretty fun offense. You mentioned, Jake, fitting this scheme, and it seems that was absolutely at the top of the list. We know from Pro Football Focus, you know, how well regarded not only Jack Conklin is as a wide zone blocker, but also Austin Hooper. And so when you looked at those guys and watched them on tape and you saw them, you know, in, in certainly in Tennessee with those principles, you have to go back to probably Hooper's uh, rookie year where he was in that Shanahan offense there. But what did you see from those guys that will allow them? Because, look, you're coming into a new system, a new coach, a new team, we don't know what this offseason is going to be like, but these are two guys that it seems should be able to step in even with kind of this truncated offseason based on what you've seen from them on tape. Yeah, certainly. I mean, the first thing that came to my mind when they signed those guys is I like that they come from winning cultures. They come from a place, especially Tennessee's run last year in Austin having gone to the Super Bowl, guys that know what it takes to win, know what it takes to be around playoff teams, and that's important. Then you look at the film, aspect on top of it and jack is just phenomenal at being able to control an edge if you pay close attention to him if you actually turn on um, all 22 which will let you watch and the nfl has done a great job of unlocking that for any fan that you want to sign up you can you can watch the coaches tape which is being able to see all 22 players at the same time but watch him sort of the little nuances he does before the snap he'll give his running back an indication if he needs to to probably cut up inside of his block or if he's going to drive block outside or if he's going to hook his man you know, a big part of the wide zone stuff, and we have great content on that at the OBR, a four-part study of that, is how you set the edges as linemen. So you have a rip-and-run technique, which you'll see Bill Callahan, if you, if you go watch uh, training camp, talk about this a lot. They're going to really focus on how they set the edge, whether that's driving an edge man out so that they can, they can cut up inside, whether hooking that edge man so they can bounce it, get to the corner, or sort of walling everything down inside and, and creating that natural bend back. Jack is just phenomenal at that. He has a feel for you know, what his edge guy is trying to do, whether he's stunning inside or he's going to try to hold outside and be a force defender. He has a great feel for it, and it's very, very rare that you watch him, especially last year. People forget he tore his ACL late 2018, um, late, late um, sorry, late 2017. Had a whole comeback of 2018 trying to get back right on that leg, maybe came back a little too soon, 
2019, you saw the guy that I think he's going to be in the future has some sort of Mitchell Schwartz, I think, second part of his career takeoff in him ability-wise and um, just a phenomenal blocker. And I think he's really an underrated pass blocker, especially off play action. So I'm excited about what he brings. And I think Austin Hooper's a great inline tight end. We call, you know, a true Y is what the position is named in playbooks. He's a great inline tight end who puts his hand in the dirt and I think will be really good for this offense because he's a willing blocker. He's not George Kittle level, mow you down, but he's a willing blocker who understands angles and understands where he needs to be and for the most part gets the job done as a blocker, which complements what I think is a fantastic route runner, uh, very heady player, not the best athlete in the world, but a guy who catches everything in his radar, will make those contested catches among some of the best tight ends in the league, and is just a nice middle-of-the-field presence, big-body tight end, who Baker Mayfield will love because we've we watched Baker for two years closely here. We know he loves to push the ball up the hash marks. And um, he's, he, like I said, very reliable catcher who will do well being schemed open because he's always where he needs to be, and he's very patient about how he gets to where he needs to get. He's never too soon or too late. He's always just seemed to be right on time, and some players have that sort of knack. So I think, yeah, you paid up a little bit for him, but that's okay because he's going to fit in really well here, and I think the best part of his career is yet to come. Jake Burns, our guest film analyst for the OBR. Jake, you're breaking down some of the Vikings offense from a year ago that Kevin was in charge of. As you now plug in, and of course, I assume when you say there's still work left to be done, it's left tackle, and we assume that will happen at number 10 overall. Uh, but if you, if, if we are to assume that that is taken care of and you get, you're going to get one of these four blue-chip left tackles there at number 10, once that position is in place and you compare our personnel, and, and I know you're, you're going over that Vikings offense from a year ago, you put our personnel into that offense that you're watching what does it look like? I mean, not to think it's pretty similar. I think that they, if they get the left tackle in this draft class that we think is going to be there, plenty of good options for four really good, I think you would call them elite-tier tackles and some really good second-tier tackles, Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland, guys that can be good fits. But if they solidify with a guy who we think can be a productive left tackle, they're as good up front. I think they're better than Minnesota was up front. I mean, in terms of sheer talent between Treader. Antonio, I think Wyatt Teller's got a bright future. Drew Forbes has a bright future, and they fit well moving down the line. Obviously, I think people overlook this fact, guys, that if you go back and rewatch the Browns' offense, obviously a sort of um, you know roller coaster of success last year, but they ran outside zone quite a bit, and they ran it from the gun, and they ran it from different variations of looks, and they were actually really good. I mean, Nick Chubb, the second most yards in the NFL last year, they were pretty good running the scheme. And I think they're only going to get better at it because they have a running back who's phenomenal at being able to sort of so – I think Nick Chubb has – and I try to not have a bias here as best I can. It's challenging sometimes. But his ability to see – they talk about LeBron as, a, as an NBA guy who sees the game two steps ahead, being able to see two beats ahead as a passer. Well, as a guy who runs and be able to set up blocks at the second level and be able to see a whole two steps ahead of when it's actually going to be there, he's that guy. And I think he will be phenomenal in this. Kareem Hunt will get only get better at this scheme as, as many reps as he can possibly get. And that's just the running game, which compares well to what Minnesota put out there with Dalvin Cook, who's a very quick burst guy, but I don't think has the patience or durability of Nick Chubb. Then you look at the wide receivers who are going to be very comfortable in this scheme. I talk about, I think the thing that people miss with Jarvis and Odell is how good they are at double moves setting people up, setting defensive backs up for a move that's to come. I didn't get many of that last year because the, the ball had to be out really quick very often. There wasn't really good long, like long, uh, I, I would say very good long duration protection in, in, in any given scheme. And the, and the wide zone play action stuff is really phenomenal for that because it takes time to, to reach out and sell the play action and come back. 
And that gives wide receivers like Odell, who can make you look silly if you think what he's initially doing is not where he's actually going. And the same for Jarvis as sort of that intermediate deadly weapon. Those guys are going to complement each other really, really well. I mean, Odell is Stephon Diggs, I think, at an even better uh, rate. And then I think Adam Thielen and, 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 and Jarvis Landry sort of compare very well there. Then you mix in the two tight ends, the Joku and Hooper, as sort of your Rudolph and Irv Smith. And, and, and it's just all there, guys. Like, I think if they solidify left tackle, whether they keep that 10th pick or move down a little bit, there are plenty of options to do that. And at that point, there genuinely are no holes in terms of talent. How that translates, we'll have to see. But the talent and matching and even upgrading what Stefanski was working with last year, it's, it's there and it's, it's pieced together the right way, the right players for the right scheme. And I, I'm very – I mean, I know you try not to say these things and get ahead of yourself, but I'm very confident right. about the talent they have and being coached up the right way here. Yeah, and I think that would be – that's what we want to see. You mentioned the two tight ends, and I think a lot of people who you know don't understand what's coming – initially thought that Austin Hooper signing meant the end for David Njoku. We all know that that is not, in fact, the case. And instead, it means that you're going to have uh, the chief in that Irv Smith role, as you talked about, taking advantage of his athleticism in this scheme. What do you expect from David Njoku here this year, who I think has a real opportunity in this offense? Absolutely. That's the. I mean, you're right. People kind of said, well, maybe they'll trade. No, no. That, to me, that was... That would, this even solidified it more that this is the guy that they want to really have a compliment for because, you know, down the middle of the field, teams will try to pin their best sort of bulky, whether it's a safety or a, or a hybrid linebacker, on a tight end that they think can get out. And if you have two of them that can get out from any given position, you got to pick your poison with these two guys now, whether they're running across the field on a drag or whether they're sneaking out on the delay wheel up the sideline, whatever it is, you have two guys that can do those sort of athletic ability, uh, so sort of necessary routes. David is probably most comfortable, in my opinion, being in the wing in a two-point stance. Sort of people call that like an H uh, or a U-back, a utility back guy that can do uh, multiple things from the wing and be a nice blocker, do some nice screen game. Uh, I think uh, Stefanski does a great job setting up tight end screens. He's going to do it all, and he's going to do it from with his hand in the dirt and, and sometimes in a wing uh, being able to motion back and forth. And you can also, people forget this, that this offense doesn't necessarily call for many three you know, wide receiver personnel sets. They didn't run many in Minnesota last year. But David can line up at X. He can run routes from, from outside. He can be a big slot that can also get open down the middle of the field uh, from a two-point stand. So his flexibility, the same with Hooper, and they're good athletes and have experience um, playing with this, you know, obviously in this offense with this quarterback, I think can can be a big part of why David could have a really nice year, and both of them could have a really nice year because I think they're going to be on the field a lot because the Browns' best personnel is going to be having those two tight ends, those two wide receivers, and that running back Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt on the field as often as possible. They'll mix in Janovic, and then they'll be able to do some different things with the fullback too. But you're talking about, I hate to say, it, but it's an embarrassment of riches within what this scheme usually does personnel-wise. Yeah, it certainly does. And and what I think it would do and, and what I think all you know, we could kind of go back to that first question. You think about the position Baker is and how great he is at play action, uh, seeing it, knowing exactly where to go with the ball and ripping it. And he is a first read, accurate, hot, fast quarterback. Um, and this offense should limit. Uh, last year at times it seemed like he was back there and there were a million different things that, that could have happened on, an, on, a, on a given play, and I know you've studied the film, and this would seem to simplify all of that and make it more black and white for Baker. Do I have that right? 
Yeah, I certainly think so. The goal of this offense is to eliminate quarterback thought process and giving defenses a ton to think about. So putting more of the thinking on the defensive side, worrying about the deception, the run game, marrying the run in the pass, which is that hot phrase you hear from, from Stefanski and guys like um, you know, Kyle Shanahan and um, Sean McVay. You want to you make defenses think. And if you can make them think, you're going to put yourself in a good position to clear up the read. So this is the beautiful part of this offense is that, yeah, whether Baker's coming off wide zone play action or he's throwing a screen uh, or he's in three-step drop, forced pass situations, he has the ability to obviously you know, make those throws at a, at, a, at a very quick and informed fashion. I think if you go back and watch last year, I thought Baker was thinking far too often and what he thought was going to happen didn't happen. And I think he has the ability this year to do less thinking about where he needs to go read-wise and say, this is where my first read is, this is where my second read is, and I'm going to go there right off the snap. I'm going to go there, and I'm going to make the right decision more often than I'm going to make the wrong decision. So that's important. He is going to have to hang in the pocket, though. If you watch Kirk Cousins in 2019, you know Kirk gets a lot of flack, and I thought he played fantastic football last year for the most part, for almost the full year. Is He hung in the pocket. They shortened up the drops. So this is what they did last year. I don't know what he'll do with Cleveland this year, but they were, I think, the third shortest drop team, meaning the depth at the top of the drop, whether three-step or five-step. They didn't drop deep. They wanted upfield rushers to be pushed past the quarterback. So that means Baker's going to have to hang in the pocket and make some tough throws you know, over the top or find those uh, passing windows the short quarterbacks like Drew Brees talk about all the time, being able to sort of find those passing windows so that you can get it to where you need to get it. I think he's got that in him, but he's got to be able to sit in the pocket comfortably with his feet and his upper body tied together and make those throws over the middle because that's what the the Vikings asked Kirk Cousins to do last year. Baker's got it in him. I think the more you have Baker clear up what's going on, he doesn't feel confused at the line of scrimmage and right off the the post-snap. The arm strength is there, the ability to decipher and let it rip is there, and the accuracy will be there that we're all – uh, you know, expecting to see last year, we saw his rookie year. I think that that bounce back can come, and this this is an offense he fits in because they'll take play action shots, and it'll be deep ball accuracy necessary, and he can make those throws. He's got the arm to rip it, 60-65. I've seen him put it out there 70 before, and he's accurate on those more often than not. So big opportunity for Baker to really right the ship this year. Jake, when you think about this offense and this scheme, and, and you're somebody who studies the offensive line more than Bo and I, we basically say, hey, this is in Andrew Barry's hands and his talented team. But when you look at these, these great tackles in this draft class, uh, how do you see them as, as fits for us? Well, I think Tristan Works at Iowa is a great fit. He's a freaky athlete. Um, I don't think people understand how freaky that combine was for him. He's a great athlete. He's played in the scheme. Um, can move laterally, can play both tackle positions. He played right tackle more, but he's played left. And if you want to see him play left tackle, go watch Iowa-Ohio State when they beat the snot out of Ohio State at Iowa a few years back and how he played Nick Bosa. You'll you'll see this guy can play left tackle if they want him to. He's a good fit. He's a good athlete. He's young. Uh, Andrew Thomas is slept on. He he To me, Andrew Thomas is the most ready from Georgia, is the most ready to walk in and play right now. He's got a really high basement, what we call it, what his career could be if it went as bad as it could go. He's going to be an effective offensive tackle. He's played left tackle at Georgia. He's anchored that position for years. He's very fundamentally sound, and um, he's often going to put himself in the right position to make the right play. I'm not sure where his ceiling gets to, but I think he's the most ready-made tackle to walk in week one and feel good about. Uh, Mackay Becton uh, is obviously a really good football player out of Louisville, a massive human being who played in this similar scheme but he doesn't necessarily fit the measurables that they're looking for for that player. Like, if you look at what most wide zone teams, whether it's Channies, 49ers, Falcons, 
even his time with the Browns uh, dating back to 2014, uh, or you check the Rams or the Vikings, they don't really pick guys that that are that are pushing the 340, 50, 60 area because what this scheme will ask your offensive line to do is run. They got to run laterally and they got to really fight like crazy. And I think there's some really smart people that have data on how much the more wide zone schemes ask their offensive linemen to run, and it's a burden on guys who are not who are carrying some excess weight. It can be yeah. tougher than third, fourth quarter to be where they need to be. So, Makai, great player. I could see the fit, but I could also see why they'd shy away. Uh, if it came, Jedrick Wills is a great player from Alabama, right tackle, mauler, really tough run game mauler. Uh, he's a good player. I'm not. I'm not sure they're looking that highly at him right now, but he's a good player that I could see fitting anywhere because he's talented. The second tier guys like Ezra Cleveland, Boise State, Josh Jones, Houston, good players. Matt Pert, the kid out of um, uh, UConn. This tackle class is loaded, and it's it's really deep yeah. from rounds one through three. It's a lot of great fits, but I would keep Browns fans. You got a chance to sit down during this quarantine. You're bored. And you want to look at some of these guys. Look at Wirfs. Look at Thomas. Look at some of the other second-tier guys like Josh Jones, Ezra Cleveland, some of those guys who move well. It's just it, they have an embarrassment of riches in terms of opportunity to pick some guys, and uh, I think I trust them. I trust Andrew Barry to come out of this with a tackle that they think can be the future there at the left side. Jake, this was great, buddy. Thank you so much for your time. Film analyst at the OBR, great friend of the program. Thanks, bud. My pleasure. Anytime, guys. All right, coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, you will hear from Case Keenum from the teleconference from yesterday, a little mailbag with Gibby. Fun final hour up next. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, welcome back into Cleveland Browns Daily. I want to tell you about my friend Alex and his company, Northeast Factory Direct. He started this thing out of his basement two decades ago. The idea, helping people save a ton of money on high-quality name-brand furniture, top-notch kitchen cabinets, countertops, expanded down to industry-leading hot tubs, and more. He is so confident in this model, which allowed him to offer the lowest prices for years, that he's now offering something I've never heard of before. A one-year best price guarantee. That's right. I've been saying Northeast prices can't be beat, and now it's guaranteed. If you buy furniture from Northeast Factory Direct, and within one year you find it advertised for less, Alex is going to refund you the difference. It's not a gimmick, folks. There are a few terms and conditions, so ask at Northeast Factory Direct for details or find the policy at northeastfactorydirect.com. You know the locations, West 140th Street in Cleveland, Lakeland Boulevard and Euclid or Freeway Drive in Macedonia. And in these times of social distancing, the best thing you can do is go online at northeastfactorydirect.com. We certainly liked what we heard from Case Keenum in your conversation with him. He met the Cleveland media yesterday, and we have uh, a sampling of that. Let's go ahead and play it. Hey, Case, with your uh, knowledge of uh, the offense and, you know, your experiences in the league, just what are you hoping to to provide to Baker Mayfield as you support him? Uh, You know, there's a lot of things, and, you know, a lot of those things happen organically. I don't know if I'm – sit here and have a list of of things um i mean he's a he's a good player and and he could he could do well just fine without many he has um and i'm not saying i'm uh i'm gonna be a coach like i'm i'm not a coach there's some great coaches in that room that are gonna coach him up but uh, uh i'm excited i feel like a quarterback room is is a kind of a committee it's kind of a um, you know, you all need to be on the same page, and, and you all want to be speaking the same language. You all want to have one voice uh, when you're talking to receivers. Um, you know, you all want to see the field the same way. So 
if we can all get on the same page as quickly as we can, uh, I think that that's, that's going to help this offense. That's going to help this team. Uh, and, you know, I think that's, that's where we want to be. So, um, you know, I think me trying to see, see the game through Baker's eyes, see the game through Coach Tefanski's eyes and Coach Van Pelt's, uh, I think those are, um, you know, those are my goals that, uh, uh, you know, as well as bringing to the table what I've, what I've done in the past. So, uh, you know, just, just coming in and preparing and, and, and being a pro like I know how to be and, uh, um, you know, just trying to help the team out whatever way it is. And I think the role, uh, I know a little bit about it now as far as coming in, but I think it'll, it'll change and evolve and then we'll see, you know, what it turns into during the season. Hey, Case, what was, um, Kevin Stefanski liked the year you were with him in Minnesota, and how did he help you? I mean, that was statistically your best year. How did he contribute to that? Yeah, Kevin was awesome, man. Um, you know, he he was so good. I felt like me and him were so similar that he, he knew just how I viewed the game and how I needed to prepare, and uh, he let me have my space when I needed the quarterback room to study and go through the game plan and watch film or – you know, he came down and, you know, met with me extra and helped me understand uh, why Coach Shermer, our offensive coordinator at the time, was putting in plays. And, you know, he would explain it to me in detail when Coach Shermer would, you know, tell me the concept. But, you know, maybe I needed, you know, a few more questions to ask. And, okay, how do I look at this? Is this kind of like this play? Is it kind of like this play? Do I, do I read it with this type of footwork? Do I have my eyes over here and then get back over here? And he was very detailed, very organized, and really, really prepared. I mean, I never went into a meeting. Um, uh, I, I had to go into the meeting prepared because he was prepared. Uh, and he was, he was going to expect that from me. He was going to demand that from me. Uh, and I was prepared as well as I've ever you know, been prepared for any uh, game that entire season. Every game that year was, was uh, uh, I, I think, you know, a huge credit to him and the, and the job he did in our quarterback room. Um, uh, as a whole, and I'm I'm excited to work with him as a head coach. Is there something about him personally that stands out to you? Just I mean, we know how basically smart he is and everything, but just wondering about his personality. What do you think he'll be like now that he's in this leadership spot? You know, I think I think the same the same guy, and I, I respect the heck out of that. Um, you know, I mean, I've been around coaches who have been in different roles and different situations and have been different at times. But I think I'm, I'm expecting the same guy, um, talking to him on the phone. Uh, you know, we joked about Game of Thrones again, just like we did in 2017. I know it's kind of, you know, hashtag old, old news. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, he, he's the same guy and, uh, uh, you know, the same, uh, you know, person that I'm glad to call a friend and, really excited to work with and that's that's one of the things that really attracted me to the Browns is looking up and down the coaching staff uh I have a past relationship with 80 percent of them and have a great reputation you know the other guy the other 20 percent have a great reputation and I've wanted to work with guys like that so uh being in situations where you know it's just it's been tough years and you know, different things have happened, and it's just it's been a tough work environment. I'm excited to go to work with people that uh, I'm really excited to to be around every day. How the fact that you have uh, familiarity with with Gary Kubiak, uh, you know, what what kinds of things did you learn from Gary, and how did those things, how will those things carry over to being here? Yeah, I think I think 
you know, that's going to be a big part of, of what uh, Stefanski, obviously spending time with him, <clears throat> um, you know, seeing seeing the the Vikings offense from last year. Um, I had a lot of familiarity. We played them and then, you know, watched them on film a bunch. So, uh, you know, I recognized a lot of their their schemes and their offense and um, the footwork and, and just, just what Kirk was doing. So, um, yeah, that was – that was really my first taste of NFL ball was Coach Kubiak uh, and him just grinding me on reads and footwork uh, and and just where my eyes were. I mean, he, he coached me hard for my first two, two and a half years in, in this league, and it really laid a foundation for me for my career. And it's I think it's the reason I'm in year nine. And, um, you know, I think that I, I owe a lot to Coach Kubiak and him giving me a shot, first of all, but training me, uh, you know, my first two and a half years. So I've got a lot of good training, uh, a lot of great training, um, you know, as far as what it means to, to be a rhythm and timing passer and, uh, you know, to get the ball out on time, to recognize defenses and know what, what type of concepts, to know what type of concepts work and to what type of defenses. I, I don't know if this is something that you and Baker talked about or something you plan to talk about, but obviously this is a, a, a weird time in the world for everyone and the off-season programs affected. Are you guys looking at, you know, any possible way to to get some work in or uh, do something while, while, you know, the NFL kind of figures this out and, and, and everybody else does too? Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, who was who was uh, was it Uncle Rico and Napoleon Dynamite? Was that the guy that set up a video camera out by his camper and threw the football around in his backyard? Yeah, that's the Nobody one. Saw that movie? Nobody <laughs> following it? Yeah, that's it. Blank, blank stairs. Okay. Uh, well, anyway, if y'all haven't seen it, you need to go check out the video clip. But I feel like Uncle Rico at times out in, in my backyard doing drops and like. Throwing, throwing the ball, you know, <laughs> by myself. Uh, uh, definitely haven't thrown as much this off season as I normally have. But um, you know, I, I'm getting healthy, which is good um, as far as you know, just the pounding we took last year. And uh, um, no, I mean, there, we're all we're all just trying to trying to figure it out right now. Uh, I know you guys are too. I'm actually disappointed I'm not seeing the inside of y'all's houses right now uh, in a Zoom call. Man, it's it's been a great time to see everybody's random places in their houses all my friends that i've never been to their houses before we're all zoom calling everybody and facetiming so um but yeah it's just it's a strange time uh in the world uh you know it's it's a good time to to really look at perspective i think and see um you know just what's most important you know there's there's a lot of things that we think are important and football and sports and um you know all these things that we think are these you know problems we think are problems that we don't get to you know do these things or don't get to go out and go to the movies or and really it's just inconveniences because there's there's a lot more important things going on right now and the health of um you know our loved ones and uh, grandparents uh all all sorts of people across the country and across the world i think that's that's obviously more important so uh doing our part to to get through this and um you know, come back stronger. That's that's one of been my motto uh, since since I can remember. Uh, any adversity that you face, just come back stronger, learn from it, and and move on. So, um, you know, no, I, I would say the plan is always constantly changing. Right now, I know everybody's 
on their own, trying to do their best to, to get ready and, and stay in shape. I'm about to uh, to go do a little workout with my wife here and uh, in our pool. We're going to do a little pool workout, a little pool uh, aerobics. So um, it should be fun. should be excited. Uh, uh, we're just, just hanging out here, changing diapers, and, and, uh, and enjoying some family time. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll cross the rest of the, the bridges when we get there. The Uncle Rico line, not properly appreciated. Just or do you think just because they because of the teleconference? Just spectacular by him. I mean, it was funny. He's like, yeah, that's the guy. That's the one. Just right. Such a spectacular line. I mean, just <laughs> unbelievable. I look forward to seeing him in the building, man. I oh, think that's going to be fun. Me too. Yeah, it's going to be that, so fun. That's going to be very, very fun. Our next segment's going to be very fun as well because uh, Gibby has less left it all up to us. And the one thing I want to discuss is the idea of Tom Brady leaving New England for Tampa and somebody very near and dear to Z's heart having a big problem with that. We get into that coming up next. Oh. You listen to CBD on 850 ESPN Cleveland. <laughs> You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. Are you on the injured list? We can help you with a new game plan. Call 1-800-ELK-OHIO for a free injury case review. Helping out is a proud partner of your Cleveland Browns. Go Browns. Uh, some interesting stuff around the National Football League. A couple of quarterback things of note, and it would be absurd of us not to start with the comments from Joe Montana uh, with how the New England Patriots let Tom Brady get away. And Joe said, quote, I don't know what's going on inside there, but somebody made a mistake. He said this to USA Today in a telephone interview. Um, he continued, he said, I had a different story where they had made a decision. He obviously, they never would have gotten rid of him. I still don't understand how New England let him get away. I don't understand that, uh, Joe Montana said. He continued to say, um, this part I did think was a little interesting. He did tell USA, he said, as of Brady, he said he wants control. I mean, he wants a lot of control. I don't know what Tampa Bay gave him, but at some point in time, you're just a player. You can try to get what you can and do what you want, but in the end, you're still not in the hierarchy when it comes to hiring people, firing people, and all of that. So Joe weighs in. It's interesting as we've gone through all this with Brady, you know, getting the sixth Super Bowl recently in the last two years, and then now with his departure, there's been a lot of parallels to the Joe Montana situation with the 49ers. And one thing that remains pretty clear through all of it, I think, Z, is is the bitterness. It was something I wasn't oh quite God. aware of yeah. as a non-49er, but I know you were very much aware of it, but the bitterness still very much there all these years later for Joe. Me and him both feel it. Yeah, it's, yeah. Still, it's still there for me too, so no surprise that it's there for Joe. Uh, yeah, it's not. It, it's one of those things that I think when he says somebody made a mistake, I think he hits the nail on the head. Somebody did make a mistake. This should never happen. Tom Brady yeah. shouldn't have left, and I know that people are saying, you know, well, he wanted to, and, and if that's the case, which it, it does seem to be, then the fact that it got to a point where he would want to leave is crazy to me. This is Tom yes. Brady. This is the New England Patriots. So the fact that that is even remotely not even a possibility, that it, it, is, it seems to be what happened here is stunning to me. Yeah, it is that there, that it, that it was allowed to get to this point. I agree right. uh, to where he would want to get out is is pretty wild that there wasn't something along the lines, you know, after the sixth Super Bowl that you weren't like, you know, what what do we need for you to finish this thing here? Um, and, and that's what I think Joe's I thought, getting at when somebody he says somebody that, made a mistake. Right, that's the mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can we get to this point? Right, and I think you. Um, 
it's interesting because after Garoppolo is dealt to the 49ers at that point, you felt like it was over, uh, or I thought it was because I think at that there was clearly a point there where Belichick, I th- clearly it seemed wanted to go Garoppolo's way, and yep. and that would have been his preference yep. would have been to just keep it going with Garoppolo and and Brady flexed and went got an ownership went with Brady and then it you know Belichick gave Garoppolo away for 10 cents on the dollar because I'm sure he could have we know he could have gotten more than what what he got out of the 49ers um and so you you it's interesting how how you get to these points but you would I would have thought that after Garoppolo was dealt that that at that point it would have been Tom finished his career as a patriot that that so to me that's what's surprising because once now there's nobody there to fill to, to fill in, they're they're right. a worse team with Stidham than they were with Brady. That's that's a that's a fact. <laughs> that is a fact. You know, it's uh, hilarious. Yeah, and I good for Joe. You know what? I, I like that Joe's still feeling how he feels, and he's sharing it with us. I like that because yeah. it, it you know there are a lot of young youths in the Bay Area that are still traumatized and feel his pain. So to hear Joe Montana still feeling that way is, you know, you you never want to see people so unhappy, but. At the same time, good, because they were cruds, and they ran Joe out of town. And in this case, what he's saying, and I think his perspective is very much the player that, even though there we're led to believe, and I think a lot of people would say that Tom Brady wanted you know, to go, but that Joe's saying it should never – no should situation never should ever arise in which Tom Brady is made to feel like anything other than – all he wants to do is be a New England Patriot forever because it's the organization that you know he helped make famous and made famous with him and that he loves it there. And how could you ever make him feel anything less than wanted? It's like I was reading an article yesterday. They got me with one of those fun headlines, you know, like the, the real reason that uh, Michael Scott had to leave the office. And I was like, oh, right. Okay. I was like, all right, I'll read okay. this. Why did he leave Sign the office? Up. And so apparently it all came from a situation where you know, Steve Carell was doing an interview somewhere and said, you know, I don't know, maybe I'll leave or, you know, and, and, and do something else and whatever. And it wasn't met with enough fanfare from basically the people at NBC never even commented on it. Like, so then he started to think, do they not care about me enough to even, if I'm threatening to leave, like to even comment on that? Like that's not even, and he said, I wasn't even threatening to leave, but he's saying that they wouldn't even say, Hey, are you okay? Do you, you know, we, we want to keep you. And then when it came time to renew his contract, they kind of like Tom Brady. They never offered him another contract. And Wait so a that second. That was it. You're telling me NBC never offered Steve Carell another contract to be Michael Scott in the office? That, yeah. According to this that article. blows you, you my mind. You never know what you read. On, but that's what they were saying. It was so absurd. Like, it was just the most absurd thing you could ever imagine. But that's what they were saying was so absurd about it that it, how, did, how do we get here? And I think that's what – that's what Joe's saying. How, how do we get here? How, how is this the reality of the situation, folks? Yeah, it, it's, it's amazing. And the thing is, is it's, it's, it's the NFL. This is what it is. And we, it, it's, he's not Brady, but we saw it with Gurley, where the Rams, when they released him, they just sent out a tweet that said, we've released Tom, Todd Gurley. we released Todd Gurley. Yes. Like, wait, what? That was an all-timer. Like, we've released Todd Gurley? That's it? He's it. pretty good. That's all you get. You no. Know? Thanks for – Pretty for, much – Thanks for your time. Thanks Tom. for it. Yeah, thanks for your time, Todd. Appreciate it. Fantastic. Speaking of the Rams, so did you see the? Uh, do you see what Eric Dickerson's been up to? Have no. you seen this? No. All right. So Eric Dickerson is like, he's an employee of the Rams, and he's in in charge of like fan engagement and like alumni alumni relations. Well, yeah, and he had like a falling out with them for a second. Well, he's about to again. If oh, you see here we the, go. What he's done All right, recently. Good. So. Let's- 
he has he basically he has gone on his social and he he does not like the Rams new logos. He doesn't like them. What was oh, wrong with and the I, old we ones? have that in common. Other than the Ram yeah. itself, the Ram's spectacular. Well, he's even says that stinks. That there well, he's are ways wrong. around that. Sorry. Um, and there are better Rams. I, I'm not going to pretend that there aren't better Rams. Of course, there's a better so Ram he's, out there. You want to get back? Get yeah. a better Ram by three o'clock. <laughs> Dickerson says this, and again, he's an employee of the Rams. Right. He says. He tweets at the Rams, and he goes, thanks again for all your passionate responses from the fans. The two logos below received the most support. I've noted your feedback for tweaks to each logo. I'll share these with the Rams and our thoughts on why we love and take pride in our old logo. Proud to be your voice. Okay. Um, what are we doing? Yeah, that's, So that's, he is an employee. Okay? He's an employee that's right. of the Rams. That's so right. So the LA Times picks this up. He went on this incredible Twitter rant. Um he talks about it should be enough for the Rams to say we messed it up. He compares how someone looked – it looked like a, you know, a male, a male organ. He said that's what it looks like. Like he took all these shots in the wow. L.A. Times. He did it on Twitter. And I just come – I just think to myself, like, how are you – I don't understand how, how you think that you could do that. And, and the other part of it – here's another one. Thanks again for the, all the passionate responses. Uh, wait, no, that's not the one. There was another one that was even more cutting than that about how bad he thinks it looks. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Why mess with something that isn't broke? It's just so aggressive at them. You've been through the process now twice with us on lo- once with a logo and uniform redesign, and this time with a uniform redesign. And I'm not saying that you're involved in the process day to day, but you're in the organization when two of these things took place. Sure. These are these are long processes. The idea. That like Kevin Mack, who's in our building and we love, could come like we launch uniforms whenever they launch in the next month or so, and you launch them and the fans are like these stink, which again is not going to happen. You're going to like them, you're going to love them. But once that happens, then Kevin goes to ownership two days later and goes to the Haslam goes, you know what, guys, you guys got it all wrong. I got these two things. You got to make these two changes. Well, wait a second, no. <laughs> we talk to me in five years, man. Right? Yeah, no, not that's probably not how it's going to go. Talk to me. <laughs> What are you doing, Dickerson? This is that's pretty wild. He's had a lot of issues with them, though. Like he's he's constantly having. Remember, there was one point when I want to say he was was he banned from the sidelines, and yes. then he got mad about that. How could they? And and then they said, "No, you're not banned." As a matter of fact, and it it became, what's going on here? It's amazing. It is. It's just amazing about how what your. Um, like just a lack of awareness. I was talking to Lauren Itis about it. Very familiar with that organization. He said that sometimes that Eric, that that would happen. He loved Eric. He said, loved him, but he said, sometimes that would happen where there just seemed like there was a lack of awareness of, of what could be said and what could it. Well, clearly this would there's qualify. a lack of, there's a lack of something, which I think is yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Like the idea that you would, that you spend five years doing a uniform and a logo and that it could be undone in two days and put back. Although, the, that did happen with the 49ers in a different era. I don't know if the process was the same, but of course you guys had that crazy. That's yes, when they changed the helmet. Absolutely, and they they Which did run it back. awful. Oh my god, and they did so run bad. it back. Yeah, they were like, yeah. Do you, no, what do you it, remember about that as a kid? It said the new instead of the great SF. It literally said 49ers and looked. Yeah, like, I remember it. it. Yeah, it was terrible. It looked very much like a college helmet. Um, not even a good college helmet, really. Just kind of a, a bad one. And people. What do you remember bananas. about it as as a kid? I like, remember, remember that there the was launch? an uproar, and they were like, yeah, on second thought, no, we're not going to do this. And they just said, no, we're out. That's we're good. Out. Not doing it. That's what I remember. Yeah. That basically, 
it had been debuted. I'm not even sure if the let's see. I'm not even sure that they I, I don't remember if there was a specific unveiling. Here it is. Why they changed their logo. Let's see. So it was nineteen ninety one. Okay. And it was a change to the logo. Um so this is actually an I just pulled up an article from Paul Lucas. Yeah. You need to watch, watch Friday that. flashback. Why 49ers 1991 helmet redesign was a historic failure. And 25 months ago. So it, there's a picture. Okay. Yeah. So there was. I do remember this. George Seifert was in like a Mr. Rogers sweater with the Bartolo. And they brought the helmet out and the new logo, which doesn't look. It, it, nothing about it even says California. The logo never made it onto the field. He says it looks like a radio station logo for that point. Uh, people were saying it was ugly. What are you doing? So news stories blew up very differently than they do now. If the 49ers unveiled the sinker of a logo today, we know it happened. Twitter and Facebook and social would go, would go berserk. It would be nuts. So that wasn't there in 91. It says once they, people started seeing the new helmet on the evening news and in the next day's newspaper, they phoned the 49ers offices where the switchboard was flooded with hundreds of angry calls. Many of them from fans convinced the removal of SF from the team's helmet foreshadowed a franchise relocation. The Bay Area media piled on it. And then 220. So they unveiled it on 216. Is that, is, did I say that the initial date? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yep. So. No, they unveiled it on February 13th. One week later, on the 20th, they said that it was uh, the fans don't like it. Eddie DeBartolo concedes the new logo is dumped and the old logo is back. That's amazing. So one that week, is amazing. One week later, they were out on it. <laughs> See, that would never happen now. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way. From a merch standpoint, all of it's been produced. I mean, it's done. Like Just like when the Rams and Chargers dropped their logos and uh, this week, the ne- within an, the, as soon as they were dropped, they were on Fanatics. And NFLShop.com, you could buy them, the new logos. They're there and purchase, ready for purchase. So, like, the amount of planning that goes into this. And those, you imagine, like, Nike uniform supplier going, oh, yeah, new era. No, no, no. Pull all those off. Done. Like, They're out. Can't do it. So apparently there are a couple, there's a a 1991 Duncan Hines football shaped cake mix that had NFL team logos that included the 49ers rejected logo. So those are like the very few things that are out there that ever like it actually made it out into package and the NFL uh, 1991 NFL style guide sheet for the 49ers showing the new helmet and logo was never used. So they were doing nothing to the uniforms. It was literally the helmet and the logo and people said went nuts. I mean, it is so bad bad so it bad and, and apparently there's some memo from DeBartolo where he said you know he was trying to de-emphasize the um de-emphasize the San Francisco aspect or Bay Area aspect of it which so given the speculation that people had that it might be something doesn't make some sense that you know maybe it, not foreshadowing a move but that you know yeah. he was thinking about something maybe he had something up his sleeve even leverage him, even leverage him, yeah, from like San Jose or something like that if he wanted to. It's hard to say at that point. That's it really is. Stuff. So it took a week. So I didn't remember it taking – I thought it – I remember watching the news. It's funny now that reading that article and seeing some of the pictures brought back. I remember watching the news, and my dad, Pedro, was furious with it. He thought it was disgusting and despicable and hated <laughs> it and all of that. And uh, it's so interesting that it, they did it in 1991, and I think it must have been part of saying this is, you know – moving on from Joe Montana, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, probably a lot like this Patriots redesign, which we're going to see here in the next month. 
Right. That maybe the, okay. there was an idea that that was it. Tom Brady's gone. Joe's gone. Yep. Let's get a new look so that, you know, we don't have to watch people, you know, a left-handed guy play in this. That's He's pretty good, but he's not Joe. I mean, <laughs> left-handed you know. guy. You know what else is fantastic? A little mailbag Wednesday with Gibby. He joins us next. Cannot wait. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. The 2020 NCAA tournament is canceled, which stinks, but here's some good news. ESPN Cleveland, Westwood Wood, teaming up to bring you some of the best games in tournament history. 15 years ago today, we saw one of the biggest comebacks in tournament history, the Elite Eight match between Illinois and Arizona for a trip to the Final Four. You can hear the classic tournament game tonight at 8 on 850 ESPN Cleveland and online at uh, thelandondemand.com as well. Time for a little mailbag with Gibby. Oh, hello, Gibby. Gibby! And a pleasant Thursday afternoon oh. to you both, gentlemen. Start. Weather start. is fantastic outside. Really, the slice the is still there in my golf game, oh, and oh, there's well. literally a piece of construction vehicle going down my street right now at two <laughs> miles an hour, carrying a porta potty. I really can't make piece? that up. Did Perfect timing. Fantastic. That's what Not happens at the DMZ, otherwise known as my street, right now. As they put in a new sewer system. Not even All right, a let's get vehicle, this mailbag started for a Thursday. A you can piece. tweet at the show at Browns underscore daily. Use the hashtag AskCBD. Joseph Parr with two questions for us. Question number one Can you imagine a scenario where we have the first pick of tackles? He says the Giants get a playmaker at wide receiver and the Cardinals would go wide receiver in that situation. Question number two is for Bo. Bo, have you ever had Basil Hayden's bourbon? Yeah. Delightfully smooth, is he, hard he says. And he follows it up with Go Browns. <laughs> I'll let you handle the tackle question, then I'll do the whiskey. Of course it's possible. I, I think it's unlikely. I do think between I think the Cardinals, between the Cardinals and the Giants, one of them for sure will take a tackle. But, of course, anything is possible, right? I mean, uh, we just heard that yep. a piece of a car was driving a porta potty down the street. So <laughs> if that's possible, why wouldn't it be possible that the Browns could have the, the pick of all the tackles? <laughs> yeah, very unlikely. I think I think it's possible we pick the second tackle, but I don't. I, I think it would be highly unlikely to pick the first. Um, have I had Basil Hayden? Yes, I have. Uh, I, I also really enjoy their Caribbean cask and their port cask. Both of those are delicious. They have a dark rum or a dark rum port cask that is, that is really a dark rye port cask, which is really great. Both of those are great alternatives. Basil Hayden's standard is fantastic as well. Um, I actually use it and when people say, hey, Bo, I want to get into bourbon. What should I try? It's one of the three that I give them to try because it has a high wheat mash bill. And if you like that, that'll kind of – if, if you like that, there's a lot of things that you can like in that in that family. So, yes, basil laden, very smooth. Next, Gibby. Our next question on a mailbag Thursday comes to us from Baker Beckham Jr. Interesting. All right. Hashtag ask CBD. Chances we make a draft day trade. I'm going to tweak the question a little bit. Why? Because I can. What chances wow. – would you have us making a draft day trade at some point in the first round on Thursday? Uh, I think decent. 
I think decent, especially if my scenario where just one of those four tackles is gone and if somebody wants to make a move for a quarterback or wants to make a move for one of these receivers to get in front of people, um, I, I could see it being possible, certainly. I think there's a decent chance of it. Yeah, I think I think it, there is a, a very decent chance of it, and it would be, you know, in, for the Browns, if they find somewhere where they want to move down. You know, that if, if, for example, let's say that that scenario broke where none of the tackles were gone at 10, it would not surprise me at all to see the Browns either take the guy they want or pick up some assets and move down a little bit, which would make a ton of sense. Yeah. What's next, Gibby? All right, this next question comes to us from Zane Daddy. Have the Browns looked at all into Jadavian Clowney? Is there anybody that you guys would like the Browns to sign or for them to trade for? Um. I don't know about trade for. I mean, I, you and I had talked off air about, like, Nigel Bradham. I just think we need to have a, a, another veteran linebacker in in the room. I think that's would be something that would be really nice to have, and he's somebody that I have familiarity with A.B., and A.B. would know him. As for Clowney, I've, I have no idea if they've talked to him. I do know that they have a lot of money. I do know that there aren't, don't seem to be any takers for him, but uh, I have no idea if they've talked to him or not. My guess is no. Yeah, I would, I would echo your sentiments there. I don't know. There's no way for us to know that. I do think, though, if it's something that they wanted to do, they could they could do it. You know, Jadavian Clowney, we've heard Joe Stradamus say it. We just went through the salary cap numbers. We went through the fact that not only does signing him, you know, you've got the most cap space in the NFL right now, but signing him also means you're, you're not going to be continuing your relationship with Olivier Vernon, which adds another 15 and a half. So if that's the direction that they wanted to go, they could do it. It's just a question of, is that direction the direction that they want to go? Next, give it. All yeah, right, guys, back. next question on a Mailbag Thursday. Remember, you can tweet at the show at Browns underscore daily. Use the hashtag AskCBD. Matt W. tweets at the show. If we were to trade for Trent Williams, what direction then would we go in at pick number 10? That's Matt W. in Columbus with that question. Matt W., I think that would mean trade. I think that would mean trade out of 10 uh, unless, I mean, I would, if Isaiah Simmons somehow were there, then yes. I think he's a no-brainer just because of our safety situation. But um, if he's not, then I would Him think it would mean trade. What about you? Yeah, I think if Isaiah Simmons there, you would go get him. If you, if you had Trent Williams here, what it means is that you could probably move down in the first round, get you know a pass rusher that you feel comfortable with you would take a tackle for the future maybe in the early second round um and look at it that way or maybe you'd trade down and still get a tackle for the future there but know that you accumulated some more assets to help your team in the long run uh so i think you know of trent williams or a jason peters which would even seem maybe perhaps more likely in a a rental scenario one-year scenario uh, you, it would open up a lot of flexibility for what you could do uh, with your team at that point. But at the same time, I don't know, you know, what – Trent Williams is the one that would be hard for me to get my head, head around, to be honest with me you. Me too. J- Jadavian Clowney, not. Younger than yeah. Vernon, premier, bookend, all of that. Get it. We haven't seen Trent play – uh, John Kime was reporting yesterday that you know source close that he trusts very much thinks that Williams has two maybe three good years of football left. We know what his contract demands are, and his contract demands are going to be significant around twenty. When you know you could get somebody that you could plug in and play day one and have maybe for ten years that you don't have to pay for the first four of them anywhere near their market value, 
at, at pick yep. 10 at that position, which is how this draft has fallen for you. So I, that's the one that's hard for me to see. If they wanted to bring in, a, you know, a, a Jason Peters, that makes sense. I think with the restructuring of Chris Hubbard, I think that tells you right there that, you know, he's going to be here in, in some type of a role. And so I just, I don't know. I don't know. It, it makes I'm me think. It, it just says that one. I don't get the fit for it. Had we not signed Conklin, then you could say, okay, you trade for Trent and you draft this guy, and maybe you draft Jedrick Wills and you throw him at right tackle, or you put one of these guys at right tackle, and, and you still have your bookends that way. But with with Conklin here, it, does, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, no, I would agree with you on that. What's next, Gibby? This one is from Mike Gregg. How do you think delayed OTAs and possibly shortened training camps will affect a team like us that has a new coaching staff and a new system to install? Does it put us at a disadvantage to other teams that are carrying over their same system from a year ago? Yes. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. There's no doubt I mean, about I, it. That's pretty straightforward. Yeah. There's there's no doubt, and in talking to the guy, the players that I've gotten a chance to speak to, I think they feel that way as well, which is I, going back to the original point at the top, that I think it's good for us that some of the people here, um, you know, who are have been brought in in high-profile positions, Austin Hooper, Jack Conklin, have familiarity with it. I think this is, there's, this is an off-season unlike any other in the National Football League. Potentially, it might be a no-off-season. Now, Big Play Gare told us yesterday, Bo, that, he, that was his favorite. That was his best year. He's like, I didn't have an offseason that year, and that's the best I've ever felt and the best I ever played. So yeah. there's there could be a physical aspect, but I think continuity standpoint, there will be a benefit for that around the NFL, certainly early in the season, wouldn't you say? Yes. Yeah, yeah. no question. Yeah, yeah. it'll be – you're going to have to wade into it a little bit. By the way, Mike Garofolo, as though he were listening to the show right now, uh, said Trent Williams' agent Vince Taylor with 106.7 The Fan earlier today saying reports demanding he's $20 million per year are totally false. Points the finger at the Redskins and their trade demands for the holdup. Well, there you go. Yeah, that's, such a, that's such a good marriage between the two of them. It's that's too bad they clearly, can't It's work. clearly like working. Clearly yeah. working. By the way, the Browns, just, the Browns just tweeted out, and I retweeted it, the first of our series where we're checking in with our players uh, and seeing how they're doing during this time with Larry Ogan Joby. So I retweeted that the Browns did. So after this show, in about 15 minutes, feel free to check that out. Working from home is what we're calling the series. In the meantime, more from Gibby. Gibby. All right, guys, one final question oh, today. Boy. I'm going to turn it over to my stepdaughter, Adriana. Wow. Because oh, I'm going to go wow. outside and hit some golf balls in my backyard. Oh, great. Why? Because I can. You guys enjoy being inside doing the rest of your radio show. What a life. Gibby. All right, guys. I hope you're enjoying being inside today. Thanks to my stepdad. My question for you today is about the show Friends. Your options are Rachel, Phoebe, or Monica. I mean, this is, it's Rachel by 100 miles. This is, it seems like some kind of a setup here. I don't even know where to go, but I would have to, I would have to agree with you, and I would probably go Rachel. Monica Phoebe in that order. I was never a huge Friends guy. Have to admit, I wasn't either. That was never my my sitcom of choice. No, I I actually think the first the first a few seasons of it were pretty solid. Yeah. Um, But then it just jumped the shark once Rachel and Ross got together. They put so much into that thing. Yeah. That once they got together, then they just made him a caricature. And then they just, like, remember that absurd part where they had her, like, uh, trying to date her, Joey trying to date her? 
Like, it was just nuts. Oh, it just yeah. didn't even and make didn't, any sense. Didn't Ross for a while? Wasn't Ross like somebody else? Wasn't he like a, didn't he have like an alter ego or a twin or something? There may have been. That, that show just so far jumped. Like, the first few seasons were pretty good. Like, when uh, Chandler was sarcastic and before everybody started to fall in love, like, there was some, it was some really funny moments early, and then it, it fell off. But um, I think Rachel was the only one that didn't become, like, kind of lunatic, right? I mean, all the rest of them kind of went nuts. By the time it went, by the time it was done, they became such, they were such exaggerated versions of themselves, you know? Yeah. So, good yeah. job at 80, though. By the way, if 80 can do that, are we sure that Gibby's needed? I'm not sure. Well, apparently he doesn't have any problems during work hours while we're on the show as a, as a huge P going out hitting golf balls. There's still 15 minutes left. Uh, by the way, this is what I found from friends. Rachel began dating a guy named Russ who had an uncanny resemblance to Ross. And, of course, yes, David Schwimmer uh, was played both of them. So, yeah, there was, there wow. was, a, there so was that, a Russ. So that's what I mean. That type of nonsense happened on that show. Yeah, yeah. Schwimmer's Regularly. best work, I still say to this day, is when he plays the obnoxious sportscaster from Chicago in the cult classic, Kissing a Fool. Yeah, he is. He's pretty With good. his Australian the, chewing the, stick, something that you adopted the, into your I, own life. I never even I had never seen that movie. Oh I had no God, idea so about that until I came in with the Australian chewing sticks, and you're like, "Those are amazing!" Uh, I can't, and you were dying laughing. And I said, "You ought to try one." And then I gave, and you enjoyed the chewing oh, stick. It was, it's fantastic. Boy, did I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's got to be Australian. I asked uh, yeah. I, next time I'm on in uh, in Brisbane. And I know you've got the Brisbane Broncos hat on today. I'm going to have to tell yes. Dabo, hey Dabo, can you send us some uh, uh, real authentic Australian chewing sticks? That's right. You know, send them yeah. stateside here. Yeah, we need those. We definitely need those. Final segment up next. You listen to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. You're listening to Cleveland Browns Daily on 850 ESPN Cleveland. All right, final segment on a Thursday edition of the program. The NFL news cycle certainly has slowed down. The, the, the one, one last thing today kind of circling a little bit is the Cowboys back at the negotiating table with Dak. Um, and I, I wondered if the Cousins – I wonder if cousin, the Cousins model will be the model that a lot of these guys go on, where they just go franchise, 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 and then maybe they reach free agency. And maybe that's what happens here with Dak. Although I think yeah. they'll probably get a deal done. By the way, I, I do too, yeah. but – that worked out pretty well for, for Kirk Cousins, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, that That's worked out really well for him. So if you're a player and you're wanting to emulate and follow a model for your pocketbook, uh, the Kirk Cousins model seems to be a pretty darn good one, if you ask me. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. I also want to, um, you know, obviously we're in the middle of all this, and I, I wanted to, the OHSAA has canceled the winter sports tournaments, and you think of the kids – uh, who have who wait for their senior year to go, whether you go get a championship or whether you just get to play your final senior day game in the tournament or wherever it is. Like, that's a memory I remember forever. I'm sure you're the same. You'll never forget it. And, and, and those were taken away from those kids with the winter sports. It's hard to imagine spring sports happening either. Uh, Governor DeWine saying it's entirely possible that the kids don't go back to school in his press conference today for the rest of the year. So um, it just breaks your heart to think of kids who, I mean, you think of like a wrestler who there's, I'm, I don't follow high school wrestling in Ohio but my guess is there's somebody who's going for like their third state championship or their fourth or whatever and now that can't be achieved and and so much of that is lost I, it, it just sick feels sick for those kids it's so yeah it, it is touch a it's such a bummer it's 
I remember those times in my life. I know you remember those times in your life, all yeah. the stuff you put into it and that, like, you know, in high school is the things that are the most important, you know, things to you and, and getting, you know, not even getting the chance to finish that out is just, it's a bummer. And it's just one of the, you know, numerous and, and probably on the grand scheme of things, not a significant one, but a side effect of obviously what's, what's all going on here with, with coronavirus. No, not in a worldly scope, not significant at all, but incredibly in significant lives, to your life. Yeah. You know, as one of those kids, you know, I'll never, you know, you never forget playing your last high school basketball game. Uh, and unless you want to say championship was a loss, I lost, we lost mine. It was in a, in a semifinal game of a, of a sectional we lost and it sucked, but I remember it like it was yesterday, like suiting up to play that game and what it was like. And to have that taken away, it's tough. It's yeah. tough. And you feel for those kids. What's a you bummer. It's a bummer. What'll bring you joy though, is what Brown's therapy has done with Gibbe hitting golf balls. All right. Let me find this right away. I haven't seen this. Oh my God, that is amazing! I love the idea of a, of Gibby's head on a little kid's body. <laughs> it's great. It's just amazing. Swinging to beat uh, so Ellen's backyard. Yes. Yeah. Well, Gibby's working like an hour a day now. That's where he's at. About an hour a day. And while well, meantime, you and I slaving away. You're you're on 16 shows. I'm on shows all over the place. Gibby's doing about an hour a day of work now. So that's where Good. he's at. Good. So. Good job, Gibby. Way to go. Yeah, but he's killing it. And Aiden killed it. it, by the way. Crush yeah, she, absolutely crushed. Perfect. What a cameo. Absolutely. What a, what a dynamite drop in. Um, all right. Coming up next, the next level. We're back tomorrow. CBD 850 ESPN Cleveland. You've been listening to Cleveland Browns Daily, a production of the Cleveland Browns and ESPN 850 WKNR.